Hello, you are listening to Things of Interest. I'm Serena Chen. And I'm Sophia Frentz. Today, how do we talk about sexism? So I think we've all been in the situation where we're having a conversation with someone and they make a comment that's sexist or racist or any of those things or they like express surprise at you for being good at maths or... Now you clearly know that it's not okay, but obviously they don't. Do you call them out? And if you do, how do you do it in a way so that they won't be put on the defensive? Because of course, you know, I'm not sexist, I love women, and you know, I'm not racist, I have friends of colour. And obviously no one means to be these things, and you don't want to be that person who's always calling people out for things that they say normally. You don't want to be the buzzkill. But clearly at the same time, we can't just ignore these comments and let them slide. So how can we talk about these things to our acquaintances, to our colleagues, to our relatives, and even to our friends in a constructive way? How do we bring it up in a way so that they don't immediately switch off? And how do we bring the conversation to a point where we can both learn something about the world and they can learn that saying sexist things is not like, oh, or the thing that they said was sexist. Uh, Big, hard questions thrown at all over to you, Sophia. <laughs> oh, so oh, good. Our problems. Thanks. Thanks. Um, I know certainly one of the tricks that people use when someone maybe hasn't realised that what they're saying is sexist. They've made a joke and they just really haven't thought it through and been like, oh, hold on. This is a terrible, terrible thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the tricks you can use there is to just ask them why it's funny. Yeah. Until eventually they have to go, oh, it's, it's funny because women are bad at maths. Or it's funny because, like, white people are better than everyone else, mm. secretly. And it's like, well, I mean, is that funny? Is that is is that funny? Could you try harder and actually be funny? And I think, like, you can often get into this situation uh, in, like, quite awkward situations. Particularly because, like, so um, I am a tentative fan of Cards Against Humanity, Mm. And there are some really bad jokes in Cards Against Humanity that people will make. Like there are there are cards. Um, I think some of the white cards have like rape jokes on them, and it's just like, well, Mm. oh god, I don't even, I don't even know. It's like that's you end up in that situation in a place where it should otherwise be fun and sort of dealing with that and just being like, Hey, let's not find this funny. Let's not do this. could be really, really difficult, particularly if everyone's like had a few beers and you're already there. I think a really good way to deal with that is to refer to someone not necessarily as being like sexist or racist or any of the other sort of isms, but to rather be like, that's a bit rude. Because, like, no one wants to think of themselves as a sexist, but we can all be a bit rude sometimes. Like, It's accessible. uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's something that you are okay with thinking about yourself. Whereas if you were to, like, think about yourself as a sexist, that's, like, a really difficult thing. And I think it's a perfectly, like, true thing to say. Like, people who are sexist don't think they're sexists. Mm. 
I've also found that um, a really good way to bring that stuff up is if you're in like a group conversation, um, make make your discomfort with it heard, but not in a way that's attacking, not in a way that's saying like, oh, I don't agree with that, or I think that's that's really bad kind of thing. Just be like, oh, that's a bit gross. Um, and then I find what's more effective is if you then pull that person aside and call them out privately because uh, it can be very daunting when you call someone out in a group kind of setting where there may or may not be the <laughs> the probability of a pylon, which you really don't want. So just bringing them aside and being like, oh, that was kind of kind of gross. Can you like not say that anymore? Um, I find is, is better than saying those words in a, in a public, more public setting. Yeah, um, I think some of the most effective times I've seen it is when someone uses uh, a slur and, like, one of their friends just goes, that's not a word we use. Yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, often, you know, the person who's used it is self-aware enough to just be like, oh, okay, like, I've caused offence, I'm not going to, like, die on this hill. It is not my battle to, like, <laughs> protect my right to use slurs. It's just like, okay, cool, that's not a word we use, all right, I'll remember that. I think, like, it's really difficult. And it's difficult, like, particularly because this can be in a lot of different situations where either you don't know someone well or, like, you've got a really difficult, um, like, kind of relationship to navigate. So, like, if it's an older relative and they're sort of, like, talking to you and they make some comment about how women just don't make good engineers and you're like, really? Are we doing this? Um, I find often with relatives it's easiest to just kind of like respectfully disagree and then leave and just don't talk to them again. Because <laughs> um, like when it comes to family, they will never see you as being an equal or someone that could teach them something if they're older. No, there is, like, definitely struggles when you have a relationship with a power imbalance. Yeah, I think, like, in a work situation, you could almost have that kind of give-and-take kind of relationship where you're just like, okay, slightly more senior colleague, like, I am not comfortable with this use of language and I'd really prefer it if you couldn't because there's, like, a structure to that relationship. And, like, while sort of things like, and I'm going to use a terrible jargon word, things like microaggressions and microaggressions are things like when someone assumes that you will have an opposite sex partner or that because you are a woman you want babies at some point or that like someone will walk in and be like oh so you're the receptionist and you have to be like no (laughs) (laughs) um those are kind of microaggressions and like while they're not something that you can easily take to human resources there is that kind of structure that's placed there to say like we need to be respectful of like even if you have a greater power in the relationship, like you really need to be respectful of what your employees think of you. Whereas in a family, there is none of that. And so an older relative is never going to think of you as anything except that baby that they held that one time. And that means that it is nigh impossible to change their minds about things like this. Mm. I find that sometimes more, uh, what's a really good skill to have is identifying so like you said about the relatives thing, just identifying what this person is like and how likely you are to to change their mind. 
And so you can you can kind of pick and choose your battles kind of thing because it's really tiring to have a very constructive conversation with someone who just doesn't understand why this thing that they've, you know, said all their lives and the jokes that they've made all their lives and has been okay all their lives suddenly isn't okay. Uh, and you have to you have to really you have to really, I find with those conversations, get on their level and expend a lot of uh, emotional energy trying to understand where they're coming from so you can you can talk to them from a from a common ground so just identifying the people who you're just not going to get to doing that and knowing like when to just agree to disagree almost uh yeah it's really, really helpful. helpful it can be like super difficult when you have mutual friends though as well right like mm. or if they are convinced that you are friends and then say things like well you know islanders are just lazy and you're like oh no oh my goodness oh no (laughs) i do not want to like and it's it's difficult with people that you've already established a friendship with right Mm. like if you're already friends with someone you're like well i already have this positive relationship with you but you're a racist (laughs) <laughs> a giant racist and I can't really look past that and like it's we started off sort of talking about sexism but like I've had a lot of experience where it's like you become friends with someone and then they're a racist and you're like oh no because yeah. <laughs> like I think partly probably because I'm white like I kind of fly under the radar of racists and then it all comes out and you're like <laughs> well this is Oh, as in, like, they feel like they can safely be racist in front of you? Yeah, yeah. Like, the fact that, oh, one of the (laughs) few downsides of being white is, like, racists feel they can share with you. Hello, fellow white person. (laughs) (laughs) Don't all other colours suck? (laughs) It's like, oh, no. Here we are again. Um, I think it's it's most, like, it's brutally difficult, especially in those situations, because, because of... Uh, recent events and of police brutality in the states it becomes a very like emotional emotionally charged topic and so i think you would have remembered back a a year ago when um an officer shot a young unarmed black male and it was it was terrifying it was terrifying because because he got away with it 100 percent, he got away with it and that like you can't separate the emotion from that right yeah well, at least you could try but i mean it's it's extremely difficult and i had i had a facebook friend who made a comment about how um how the officer was just you know protecting himself from this you know, scary black man and and it's it's hard to face those conversations. It's hard to bring those up without being very emotionally hurt by it. Yeah, because the immediate response when someone says, like, well, you know, he actually stole some cigars, so that's really punishable by, like, execution on the spot in America, is, like, what is wrong with you? What the heck is wrong with you? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like you realise that there are a lot of people, not only in the states but um outside of the states who who 100 percent believe that you know the police are just doing their jobs in these cases and this murder is justified 
And so, and so it doesn't become enough to just say, okay, these people are obviously on a different level. Let's just ignore them because we can't because there's so many of these people. So how do, how do we engage in such a, such a sensitive conversation about that? I think to a large extent, like while it is inherently emotional, you have to do your best to like put your emotions aside Mm -hmm. because like, if you just like, what is wrong with you? I cannot even handle this. Like then they won't listen to you. You have to just be like, look, this is exactly why what you're saying is wrong. And I think these are kind of conversations where allies are actually really important because like, definitely, particularly with me, like, being white when I talk to other white people about racism they're going to take me more seriously than someone that they see as like being affected by it if you talk to someone about like affirmative action being really important for indigenous people and people of color like a white person is going to take another white person more seriously than someone that they see that could be advantaged by the changes that you're proposing like that's not a good thing but it is something that exists and that's like a really important role that allies can play and it's the same thing like where um one of the best things that male feminists can do is call out other dudes who are like who say sexist things yeah because when we call it out we're we're i don't know shrill and complaining all the time about things that don't matter but when dudes call out it's like oh fellow bro i respect you i think like the other thing that allies, and certainly we weren't intending this to become a discussion about allyship, but, like, the other thing that allies can do really well is to amplify voices. So, like, it's never been an ally's role to take the limelight. And it's been, um, it's been NAIDOC recently. And NAIDOC is the um, National Aboriginal and Islander Day Observance Committee, um, which sort of is something that really tries to highlight the achievements of Aboriginal Australians and Torres Strait Islanders and like why and the problems that they still face. Um, And one of the key parts of that is to just be like, you can be a really good ally by amplifying the fact that this exists and just like really supporting the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders that do really, really well in Australia. But like you should never as an ally be taking the microphone you should never as an ally be on stage like during this week and i think like mm. that's been done really well in nadoc week sort of um particularly this year but i think that's also lost a lot when we talk about allyship it is absolutely lost a lot there was a really controversial thing that happened with um tedx wellington women i think this was last year in which um they featured a panel of just amazing women speaking and one dude it didn't look like he had any kind of um, – he was doing any kind of work in terms of uh, making women more prominent or supporting women. So it was completely almost irrelevant. Uh, he was talking about his photography project, and it was very strange, and a lot of people piped up over that. Uh, and the response was basically, hey, we believe you know, both sides of the story kind of thing. We believe that men are important too, and – and I felt like he was thrown in there just to say this event is not reverse sexism. Ah, no such thing as reverse sexism. sexism right, is, right. Yeah, sexism exactly. is based in, like, uh, the institutionalized and, like, historical Absolutely. entrenchment of bias. Like, you can right. be a jerk, but you Absolutely. can't be a sexist. <laughs> so, right, so we know this. We know yeah. this, obviously. <laughs> oh. but, um, <laughs> but, like, 99% of people don't understand that. 
99% of people will say, hey, there is such thing as reverse sexism and reverse racism. And it's hard to it's hard to, to have that kind of very academic conversation almost to say, okay, let me tell you the definition of racism because who are you to tell me the definition of racism, right? Yeah. So so then you have to you have to really kind of put emotional mental energy and resource into talking uh, having a good constructive conversation with this person and come up with analogies and and ways uh, to explain it in a way that will make sense to them, them from their point of view yeah I think um comedians have actually done a long way to provide us with those kind of analogies and ways to break those like walls down so like um for example louis ck has this wonderful uh sketch about um i think he's talking about time traveling Mm -hmm. and he's just like i'd always want to go backwards because as a white man like it's fine at no period of history have i been like have i been had entrenched oppression like i'd be great go back in history still in charge excellent I never want to go forward in time because, like, our comeuppance is coming. He's also got this really wonderful thing where he talks about slurs and how, like, white people in America can get really upset about, like, the slur cracker. And they're like, no, it's a slur. It's terrible. And he's just like, well, what is that, right? It's like, oh, you take me back to when I owned slaves. Like, that's not that's not an insult. It's just, like, it's a terrible it's a part of our history. Like, and yeah. that's something we, we should be really be aware of. I think a lot of people also... Uh, excuse themselves from taking action and like actually being allies uh, Mm. by saying things like, well, you know, like my parents never owned slaves. And like, I mean, I know sexist, but I would never be a sexist. I love women. Mm. And it's just like, you can't excuse yourself from a system that has been set up to benefit you because you if you reap the rewards of institutionalized sexism and racism and like to an extent homophobia although that's a uh, a different beast to talk about a lot of the time like you can't just say oh well you know i now opt out of like trying to deconstruct that system but you know i'm yeah. not i'm not a bad person <laughs> i think a big contributor to that is that the misconception of uh the the misconception that you can somehow remove yourself from the system so if I am doing uh, zero actions, either towards or against sexism, if I'm not doing anything, then then I am not being sexist. But what people don't understand is that inaction supports the status quo, and the status quo at the moment is bad. So by wanting the system to be like neutral, you can't just do nothing. You have to do something that is against the status quo to bring the system back to a place where it's like oh okay so we're not sexist anymore yeah definitely and like i understand that it's hard right like it's difficult to want to change a system that benefits you so incredibly Mm. but like that's why it's really important and that's why like being an ally isn't easy no um i just really wanted to quickly share one of my uh favorite most favorite comedy bits about reverse racism it's by a comedian, Amir Rahman, from his sketch Fear of a Brown Planet. And he talks about reverse racism and how reverse racism totally exists. Uh, if I were to go back in time, and if I were to convince all of the colored people in the world to uh, invade Europe and pillage all of their countries and uh, and set up some kind of like 
slave system, oppress their people, and then throughout centuries, uh, educate them in a way so that they would they would all want to move to Africa, and then no one would want to be in Europe, and and then you know in, in the current day say something racist towards a white person. That would be reverse racism. I am like doing his bit terribly. <laughs> people should just like you know what we'll we'll, we'll put a link to a YouTube thing to his bit because it's it's fantastic. It's it's showing how silly reverse racism is because it's showing how racism requires the historical context of centuries of oppression. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, did you see how in the I think I sent it to you in the um aftermath of Brexit. Nakia Louie, who is this wonderful um, Indigenous Australian woman, uh, set up a Kickstarter to buy mm-hmm. England back. <laughs> because I have not seen this. Oh, Tell me more about this. So good. Um, so Nakia Louie posted up a few tweets, which is just excellent. Uh, and she referred to it as a post-colonial investment project. Aboriginals can't get our land back from the British, so let's just buy theirs instead. <laughs> um, and like and just a few tweets with taglines like it's time for the colonized to become the colonizers which is just really fantastic and the idea was that like you know you set up a kickstarter to just buy like a farm in England and then slowly mm. buy it back bit by bit so that aboriginal people just own all of England because like the pound just dropped dramatically in the aftermath of Brexit, so now it's kind of affordable, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. But but would you would you want that land anymore? <laughs> I mean, like, I think it's symbolic, right? Like, yeah, definitely. British That's land hilarious. is just not not great. Australia is quite nice, aside from all the racism. Like. That's exactly what I think about New Zealand. It's quite beautiful, aside from all the racism. <laughs> yeah, you. the best thing to make yourself feel better about New Zealand racism is to move to Australia. <laughs> we, we, we really ought to stop doing that, though. Like, I think both New Zealand and Australia do this thing where we're like, okay, so, our politics is bad, but look at America. They have Trump. We're not as bad. And, and that's, that's really not what we should be doing. We should be comparing ourselves to our past selves, right? Yeah, and certainly when people... So I've had a lot of people comment since I've moved to Australia about how well New Zealand treats its Indigenous people, and I'm just like, I mean, but there's still, like, this incredible, eth- like, difference in ethnicity of people who are incarcerated, like, Māori people mm-hmm. overrepresented in poverty, like, it's it's not good. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, it's better than us. Um, <laughs> you actually teach your language in schools. And I'm like, yeah, but it's really important if you're only aiming to be better than someone else you're just going to stop trying when you hit that point yeah whereas if you want to be the best you can possibly be like then you're always going to be improving which applies both to self and to countries (laughs) (laughs) i think the other thing as well right is like it doesn't make a lot of sense a lot of the time to compare situations that are so different as between countries and so like it wouldn't make sense to take the way we talk about sexism in New Zealand and Australia and go talk about that in Egypt or in France or anywhere else really um mm. oh that's I think point you're bringing up. yeah I think there's something we have to be like really conscious of like I've certainly talked to people who are expats of other countries around the world who sort of say, I'd really like to go back and to say, like, hey, maybe we could consider 
not hating women, but they're also just like, I really understand that I've essentially been raised somewhere else. Like, I belong somewhere else now to them. And to go back and just to be like, why don't we change this? Like, that wouldn't make any sense. And you have to sort of allow change to come from within a community. But certainly the communities we exist in, we can, like, uh, docile for change. This is a really interesting thing that, so, <laughs> complete segue, um, but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question for us, uh, because where do we draw the line between what we define as sexism and racism and culture? Of course, there's been that hoo-ha all over, oh, women should liberate their bodies and we should be able yeah. to, like, wear anything we want, um, and you know, Muslim women are being oppressed because they can't wear anything they want. And and then it's like, wait, no, they are choosing to be in that religion. They are showing respect for that religion and that culture, and we shouldn't be telling them to not yeah. wear their traditional dress. So there's that, there's that line between this very, very white, very Western form of feminism and how we interact with other cultures, how we, how we intersect the boundaries of sex and race yeah the idea that the like being hijabi or wearing the niqab is like not feminist is an idea that's been um floating around for a while and it's an idea that's entirely wrong in a lot of ways right like mm-hmm. but it is also very difficult to judge from outside a perspective as to whether that decision is being made wholly and freely um mm-hmm. i think when it comes to things like child like marrying children off that's quite clear that that's not like a good feminist thing to be doing like it's not something that allows women their autonomy and lets them do their thing i think when it comes to not being able to vote except for apparently this year at some point in saudi arabia like that's clearly not good women should be able to vote please um Mm. but it when it comes to things like i think there are still a few countries in the middle east where like it's law essentially if you're a female citizen of the country you have to you know at least wear the hijab and whether everyone is comfortable expressing their islam that way is a question that needs to be answered within the country rather than answered by us essentially or anyone outside of it really yeah random western feminists from the other side of the world (laughs) it's like no no we're we're going to solve sexism in the middle east on our podcast (laughs) (laughs) this is is why i feel really uh really awkward because i think i think in a lot of circles um i'm seen as you know that person who is into social justice and so when when a lot of these topics get brought up people kind of look towards me and in most of these cases i'm just like i have no idea you guys don't look at me i I don't have the the information. I don't have the the context. I don't. I can't help you. I think um, that's a bit of a cop out, isn't it? We've got Google on our phones. Well, no, no, but I don't have the context of living in that country and knowing that people. Like, sure, I can I can read all about whatever we're talking about, but but that doesn't mean I I understand it. You know. Yeah. And so I think we can speak of it in a very removed kind of academic. Way, but is that helpful and are we fooling ourselves by saying hey i can google this and now i understand it because i don't think that's true i don't think i think reading about things and uh and educating yourself about all of the different things going around on around the world is important and we should do it but we should definitely not be 
then claiming uh, yeah. expertise. <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> we my, do not have that expertise. <laughs> my idea behind googling it is you can find someone who's actually lived that, who's written something about it. Yeah, who will yeah. always and be then, a And then voice. we can point to that and say, <laughs> yeah. hey, instead of uh, instead of us saying some opinions based on nothing about it, uh, let's just all look at their opinions. Yeah, I had the rather beautiful experience the other night where I saw a um a public debate. So. I've been involved in debating for too long. Um, (laughs) And, like, the point of debating is essentially, like, read about something, claim you understand it, pretend you understand it better than the other team. Um, (laughs) But this debate was about, uh, I can't remember exactly, but it was something to do with the Middle East. And they just kept saying things that were wrong. They were just like, yeah, Hezbollah is a major political party in Lebanon. I'm like, no, not true. Like, yeah, because, you know, Lebanese parties are all based along, like, um... Religious lines, and it's just like, also false, but you're try no, no, and like, <coughs> so because- I think this is what why I don't like debating. <laughs> this kind of stuff happens a lot, and I, I can't deal with it. <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's fun to just kind of, like, quietly die with other people who have, like, lived in the oh, Middle dear. East. Like, you all end up in a corner together just being like, why? <laughs> why are you doing this? Um, and I just, like, drank a- half a bottle of wine and then like had a good time afterwards um mm. but it's I don't know where I was going with that just my frustration over it really like it is so infuriating to be someone who knows who has some experience of a culture and then to just hear like basically like a bunch of white people spouting off about it like that's mm. It's really bad. It's like, what are you doing? And often, like, it will be not even the barest bit of research has been done or the ideas about it. And I think being able to admit that you don't know something is a really, really important step. And certainly it's not a step that's encouraged by the system of debating, which is really set up. So, like, you're never going to see it in a formal debate, but... I think I don't know about this, but please believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like, that's the point of debating, right? And, like, it's something that's very much understood within the circles is, like, it's a game. And we don't really treat a lot of what we say as being important or valuable to a large extent. But also a lot of it gets filmed and is on the internet somewhere. So, you know. Um, Okay, so just spinning this back to the the topic in question. Do it. (laughs) um, Because, (laughs) so there are a lot of white men who are very respected and who, uh, you know, don't mean to say things that are uh, factually incorrect or things that are hurtful, but they do. Uh, And they are listened to, and they're listened to by many, many people, uh, including our friends, our acquaintances, our workmates, etc. So when when we talk to them, how do we we point that out? How How do we say, hey... There's other sources of, of news as well, and um, how do we encourage that that openness and that that search instead of just sitting back and getting your news from oh, John, someone. <laughs> um, I think if you can point them to other figures of authority, that's often a really good starting point because mm-hmm. like you are never going to be able to challenge the authority of like essentially someone they've ever never met, right? Mm. it's that kind of like if you've never met someone you're likely to put them in like a higher esteem than if you are like quite good friends with someone and you know you've heard them fart right Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so if you point them to, like, other figures of authority and, like, often other figures of authority that are also white men, like, that's probably a really good starting point just to be like, hey, here is some other writing on this topic that you may also, like, consider. Here are some other people talking about how those things that you believe actively harm me. But, yeah, I mean, just, just, just have a read. Just have a read. It'll be good. I also wonder as well how to – because people, you know, they're nice and they want to help you and they don't want to hurt people. How to show that I am hurt by what they said without being over dramatic about it? That sounds really bad. But, you know, like if if you are uh, in some kind of minority position uh, and you say, hey, that that really hurts me, and if they can't see why that hurts you and how that hurts you – then it does sound like a minority complaining about everything because we complain about everything. And just to just to try and evoke that empathy from them. Um, so this is something we talk about a lot sort of in science and there's an article which we're going to link in the show notes um, which suggests, or at least it talks about this woman's use of uh, soccer referee cards mm-hmm. and how when someone makes a comment that could be construed as sexist or feels like a microaggression, she just hands out a referee card. And mm. the first time she did it, it was for a comment that questioned her math skills. And she was like, yellow card. Thank you. And then you can just, and, you know, everyone sort of laughs about it because they're like, oh, it's like soccer. Huh? But she's found, certainly, that people have started to say, okay, like, what did I do? And how can I do it better? And mm. so, like, for example, like, people who sort of question her math skills are now like, okay, so... I worry that you won't be good at this math because you're trained as a biologist rather than as a computational scientist or a mathematician, rather than just being like, oh, yeah, but you won't be very good at the maths. Which, like, for all intents and purposes, in that isolated incidence, they're kind of the same thing to say. But specifying it, like, reassures and, like, reasserts the fact that you're not saying this because of gender, you're saying this because of other things. So that's interesting. Has she... What kind of context has she tried these things out in? Because the context that I would mostly um, be interested in is like you're at a bar with some friends, maybe some strangers, and you're handing out these weird referee cards. Do like do people think you're insane or do, like? So she's done how, it in the. How work- do people take that? Yeah, so she's done it in the workplace. Right. Which I I think is almost like a more risky move than doing it at a bar, right? Like <laughs> very risky. But it's it appears to be working out for her right like and you know her idea isn't to like identify sort of individual offenders it's to say like i know that you don't recognize that what you're saying is harmful so i'm giving you a yellow card you know it's just like you've done a thing you didn't realize that you were doing a thing but here's a warning and if someone is says like something incredibly sexist she's like okay here's a red card and it's just this minor challenging of comments and of microaggressions so just like little sexist things that slowly wear you down until you run away from science and never look back yeah that's really interesting because i from hearing the description of it i i don't picture it working out very well for for me (laughs) (laughs) um because at the same time, like, especially in the workplace setting, when you want to be calling these things out, but at the same time, you don't want to be known as the social justice person. You want to be known for being good at what you do. And a big worry for me 
just personally is that I am like the the social justice person in that work and you know if you have questions about feminism you come to me kind of thing um which is great and I'm happy to happy to do that but at the same time I would like to be known as the person who's you know really good at that work I think also we're like we're at a stage in our career where we can't necessarily take those risks and that's no. totally legitimate and I don't think if anyone thinks they would be at risk they should feel it is their duty to point out sexism or racism or any of the other isms right like mm. you do what's safe for you and for us certainly that would be like not calling it out in the workplace very often <laughs> only sometimes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah definitely and i guess this is again where where the importance of allies come comes in we as people in minority groups we shouldn't be expected to fix this massive problem that wasn't caused by us so, so that's when allies can step in and yeah. do some of the work essentially certainly um one of the taglines that's been floating around in the melbourne women in stem groups is uh women in science isn't a women's problem it's an everybody problem mm-hmm. because like if we don't get the best people in science we're not going to fix global warming Exactly. So we kind of need to fix global warming, so we better better do that. It's also interesting, I find, because when you when you talk to people about sexism and racism and all these things, um, to identify what they value as a good argument, and for some people that's the moral argument of women should be treated like this way and not like the way you're treating them because people should be treated as people and women are people. And so you can go with a moral argument, but that won't work for some people. I find that some others, you really have to go with the economic argument of, hi, you want, say, more economic productivity and you want to solve X problem and you're not going to get there by creating an environment that shuts off half of your potential, potential brain power, right? And sometimes you have to, you have to kind of do a mental shift and say, okay, this person cares about solving problems. Or maybe this person cares about doing things right. Or maybe this person cares about everyone getting along. Or maybe this person cares about recognition. Some people want to be uh, recognized for being a good person. And so you can shift your argument in that way, depending on who they are, to say, you know, hey, I really appreciate when you do X, Y, Z, but when you, I don't know, say something sexist, make a sexist joke, people really don't appreciate that. And I think people would appreciate you more if, you know, just basically reframing your argument towards the person that you're communicating with. Yeah, definitely. And that like, that sounds like a lot of mental gymnastics, but it's really like the same idea just presented in different ways, which is yeah. incredibly good and powerful. And I think that works for just general communication in everyday life as well is to identify what kind of person you're talking to and what their values are and getting on their level and saying, hey, I and empathizing with them basically and saying, hey, I understand where you're coming from. Here's where I'm coming from, reframed in a way that you will understand. Oh, that's really good. Speaking up is really, really hard and making a constructive discussion is also really, really hard. But we can do it. If we identify what they value, if we empathize with their position, and 
basically reframe our argument in a way that they understand and do it in a non-confrontational kind of polite way and you know hey maybe you don't want to be rude we shouldn't be expected to do all of the work though and sometimes we can't speak up this is where allies come in and when they call people out it's often much easier and it can be taken a lot better than when we do something that's perceived as being inherently self-interested so thanks for listening to things of interest if you'd like links to the things mentioned in this episode check out our show notes you can find us on our website at thingsofinterest.co and on Twitter at castinginterest. We would love to hear from you, so please flick us your thoughts on Twitter or even email us a voice memo. That'd be really cool. And as always, leave us some stars on iTunes. Thanks for listening and stay in touch.